Welcome to On the Bench. Josh Newberg's here. Chris Knee is here, just fresh and straight out of bed. Hi, sleepyhead. Hi. <laughs> I'm Brendan Sinone. We have a recruiting pack podcast to get to you guys. It's like a semi-emergency podcast. Josh, this yeah. is an emergency pod? I think so. Uh, yeah, yes, this is definitely an emergency pod. We threw this together last night. We said we need to jump on, fire up the sirens. This is an emergency podcast. <laughs> And they're good sirens. They're positive sirens. Not a whole lot of those these days. Have you guys noticed a lot more sirens outside? Josh told no. me positive. This isn't positive, but it's like freaking me out. I hear like eight sirens a day. Nope. Okay. Nope. Yeah, let's pretend nope. it doesn't happen. Let's talk about positive things. And that is a flurry of recruiting activity for Florida State. Well, four commitments in the past week, three of them transfers. It's been a, a hell of a, a hell of a stretch here for FSU. And that's what we're going to focus on for the podcast. But before we get to that, Josh, you compiled a shitty ass trade that we need to talk about. Oh wait, we're talking about this first. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, we're leading with yeah. it. I just want to get it done and pretend it's buried and never talk about it again. So, no, it, it, it was twenty four sports national people put this together. Uh, the yeah. trade was it was all these hypotheticals, right? That different team sites were doing is a good idea, and Josh decided to run with this trade. I just want to know the origins of it and what you were thinking. It was Tamori and Terry. And Marvin Wilson to Penn State for Devin Ford, like a freshman running back who had like 200 yards last season, and then two developmental. I could develop- have had Noah Kane, but I took Devin Ford. Two, two developmental offensive tackles. So th- was this yeah. was this proposed to you? Like, how, how did this come about? Well, first of all, it wasn't proposed to me. There was a there was a letter out that said, um, "We're doing this trade article. What do you guys want to trade? If so, contact me. You know, contact Trey Scott." So. I told Trey Scott that Florida State really doesn't have anything of value to give besides Marvin Wilson and Tamari and Terry. So first of all, let's talk not, about that. It's not accurate. If you're if you're talking about trading for 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 good value, Florida State really doesn't have a ton to offer. I mean, I know we like these guys, but you got to think if they're going to another team, they got to be able to go in there and take over a starting job for another program. Florida State doesn't have that on their roster. They got some nice players, like I said, that we like and we appreciate. But in terms of a national perspective, there's two guys on the roster with value. Now, I, I, disagree. Think, I disagree with that, but continue. Now, my thinking is. Flawed premise. That's okay. But now you see the full picture. We get rid of Marvin. We bring in Fabian Lovett, who has three years to play. Marvin has one. We get rid of Marvin. We get rid of Terry. This team with Marvin and Terry, what do you what do you predict them to win, Brendan? Seven games? Seven, eight seven, games? seven, seven to eight seven games. games. Yeah. You take away Marvin and Terry, and how many are you predicting them to win? Six five, or seven. Five to seven. Stop it. Stop it. You plug in Fabian Lovett with that that defensive front. Now you have him for two for, for three more years. I'm sorry. You have him for three more years. You had Marvin for one. You replace him, you bring in two developmental offensive tackles. The deal was I couldn't have Penn state's best offensive tackle in this recruiting class, but I could take two out of the recruiting class. So any of those two are going to be better than what Florida state signs. You got those guys for four or five years. It's a great trade. I mean, this is just looking for the future. I know you're a now me guy. And I, I expected the media to take this and twist it before they had all the pieces. And especially now that you see the, the love it deal. I mean, me and Mike Norvell were working hand in hand on this trade and it, and it came out perfectly. I can't, I really can't thank Mike Norvell enough for, for all the help he gave his GM. He should have taken a DN instead of a running back. He should have not given up both of them. He could have just traded one of them and he could have gotten the same. I wasn't thing. really given a whole lot of options. I was told, Hey, I want to get rid of Tamari and Terry and Marvin Wilson for, <laughs> for some future prospects. And all of a sudden I get back. All right. Penn state's interested. And, and like, you know, it was like a five minute thing. It was fun. Josh negotiates a trade like Bill O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Josh kind of uh, teased the uh, the first person I wanted to talk about with the recruiting news. That was Fabian Lovett from Mississippi State. Transfer defensive tackle. Uh, let, let's put it this way. FSU staff was really excited to get this guy. They've had some really nice additions the last few days. I got the feeling that like this is the one that, that created some legitimate buzz throughout the throughout the program. He played nearly 500 snaps as a redshirt freshman. He was a basically a full-time starter. 
PFF grade 60, which is average, but you're talking about an average redshirt freshman in the SEC. What is he going to be in a few years? Likely a, a really good interior defensive lineman. Let's see. Chris, I'll kick this to you first. Uh, what was Fabian Lovett's background going into uh, this recruiting process for FSU and Josh Oskew to after Chris finishes to kind of talk about the whirlwind of a recruiting process for him. But, but Chris maybe provide us with a little bit of background on, on who Fabian Lovett is. Well, out of high school, he was an sec West kind of target Alabama flirted with him. Florida really liked him. I know they're sec East, but in general, that kind of gives you an idea of who was after him landed at Mississippi state doing part to it being so close to home. And also at that time, they were having a fairly good run of landing high-level defensive linemen. Um, Mike Leach got in there. Mike Leach put out a tweet that offended Fabian Lovett and his family, several other players. That's why we've seen a recent push to the portal by a few people with that program. Fabian kind of led that charge. He got out of there. He considered Florida, considered FSU, considered a few others in this process. But his relationship with Mike Norvell and many members of his staff from their time at Memphis played a key role in why he was so comfortable jumping on a train at FSU. I think the one addition beyond the Mike Norvell carryovers was Odell Higgins. Odell did a very good job with Fabian. They connected very quickly. And I think Odell is the kind of guy that when you're looking for someone you basically are trying to trust, Odell is an easy guy to trust. Obviously been at the same place for a very, very long time, has a lot of guys he can lean on and say, you know, Oh, if you need to know how legit I am, call Travis Johnson, call Darnell Dawkins, call Broderick Bunkley, call you know this guy and that guy. So I think that kind of helps with a guy like Odell. And I think it made it very easy for Fabian to find a place he could trust while not being able to go through a generally normal process of going to see a few schools and getting a feel for people in person. All right, Josh, so how did this all come uh, come about? I believe it was last Saturday, Fabian Lovett heard from Florida State. He hit the portal on Friday. Um, so it's been about 10 or 11 days that he's been in the portal. Florida State jumped on him as they do with all transfer portals, reached out nearly as soon as he, he put his name in. Um, I talked to Fabian Lovett that Sunday. So it had been about three days since he'd been in the portal. And he told me that Florida and Florida State uh, had both reached out. I have it right here. He said he'd also, this is about a week ago. So at the time he had Florida state, Florida, Michigan, Michigan state, Oregon, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Houston, Texas tech offers. Um, but like Chris said, Mike Norvell did a great job of, um, recruiting him during their time at Memphis. He visited Memphis. He had a relationship there. And then there's also Chris Marv. Chris Marv was on the Mississippi state staff last year. He coached on the defensive side of the ball, not defensive line, but linebackers. So uh, Lovett and Marv had some familiarity with each other. And, you know, talking to Lovett yesterday, moments after he made his decision, that's what he said. He said he went to the place that he felt most comfortable, the place that he felt that he had the best relationship with some of the coaches there. And um, it was Florida State. I'm sorry. Uh, he, he purportedly had offers from well, obviously Florida State, Florida, anyone else in there? Yeah, Michigan, Michigan State, Oregon, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Houston, and Texas Tech. This was a, as of a week ago, so he probably got a couple more. It's impressive, and it explains why the staff uh, is so excited to to get him and have his addition. And frankly, he's some that we expect for the reasons Chris kind of outlined with uh, with Mike Leach and and his social media posts. I think there's a pretty good case for anyone leaving Mississippi State to get immediate eligibility. It'll be pretty hard, I think, to to deny them that. So let's factor in that Lovett is probably in the defensive tackle rotation this season. When you're talking about being three deep at both the three tech position and the nose tackle position, uh, a strength gets stronger for FSU. I think the significance guys, correct me if, if you you know disagree, FSU has a bridge now after Marvin Wilson leaves, after Robert Cooper leaves, after Corey Durden leaves. This is kind of one of the building blocks to kind of go with Dennis Briggs, True Thompson, I feel markedly better about the future of that position today than I did yesterday. Odell needed this one. He yeah. needed to get somebody in to kind of bridge that gap and recruit the next guy that's going to come in and be the next Marvin Wilson. And, you know, Fabian Lovett was one of the, probably one of the best talents uh, on the defensive line to hit the portal this, uh, this cycle. So, you know, they made a major upgrade there. Yeah. And I think we all agree that, you know, Dennis Briggs is a capable, good player. 
Uh, Malcolm Ray's a guy who we're interested to see if he becomes something. Manny Rogers coming in is a guy that we know Odell loves. So there are guys that we kind of expect to be a part of the future in that position. But I think mm-hmm. this gives you a little bit more of an established piece. A guy who's just above Briggs currently in the sense of he's done it. We've seen mm-hmm. it. We know he can do it. And I think that's a big piece. Second thing is the possibility wears a single-digit number, and I'm here for it with a defensive tackle wearing a single-digit number because if he's half the man Loco Ocho was, Timmy Jernigan, then let's <laughs> do this. I'm just I'm ready for it. Let's have a little fun. I won't I won't joke about it because it was exciting yesterday that they landed him. You know, we we always talk about oh, coach comes in and he needs to read the depth chart, read the roster, make smart decisions. And I think we've seen that with Norvell. We're up to what now? Is this transfer number six or seven? This is seven now. Seven. So, yeah, so we have seven. We The recent ones, let's just look at them. You know, Deontay Williams doesn't excite me a ton, but it's a guy at defensive end. They need that. Miko Dotson, a one-year rental, a guy who had a lot of picks last year, instinctual, aggressive player. I think that helps a talented secondary with an instant plug-and-play piece that can do certain things. And who's certainly going to raise the level of competition with that group. And then Fabian Love, it's a guy who's on the younger part of his career. Very talented, big body. You know, he's played in some of the toughest games you're going to play in playing SEC competition. And you plug him right in. I I think it's a big deal. Um, You know, if they can do an offensive tackle and a defensive end who's a high-level defensive end, pass rusher type. And man, I might just get optimistic again. Mm. Oh, easy there. Yeah. Uh, Give me, so that, giving me all the warm and fuzzies. So, so two things with that in mind. Uh, one, just for information purposes, FSU has basically added 5,000 career snaps to its roster uh, with these seven transfer additions. That's, that's seven guys who've played nearly 5,000 snaps at the FBS level. Uh, to Josh's point about his shitty ass trade and restarting everything and blowing it up, doesn't seem like they're going in that direction. Seems like they're kind of playing to win some games. You're really married to, to having Marvin Wilson and Tamari and Terry on the team for one more season so they yes. can win seven games as opposed to six. You got to establish some won. culture. Wait, 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 the whole the whole thing we keep hearing is FSU has to win some games to start changing the narrative. FSU has to start turning things around on the field to start beating Florida and Alabama a, on the recruiting trail. difference between winning six and seven games compared to winning nine or ten games. I think if Willie Taggart won seven games his first year versus five, he's probably still the head coach here. Oh, I'm talking about where we're at right now. I'm just saying. It's I would never game. walk from Marvin Wilson because I think Marvin Wilson, in many ways, is a heartbeat of this team. Well, that's why you guys aren't the GM. You can't make these tough calls. You guys are too <laughs> far too emotional okay, to take Bill. on this job. <laughs> Let's move on. Oh, real quick for the for the Fabian Lovett thing, just to show like how you know, Chris mentioned being excited, a, a peek behind the curtain. You guys are making dinner when that's happening. I'm eating oh, dinner God. when that happens. It was uh, it surprised us that it happened at this point, uh, but that it was, was a, a great surprise. Yeah, yeah, that was funny, but I, it, it I, worked out. I literally, it was like I had half a sweet potato left on my plate. And I texted you guys. I was like, hey, is someone getting this? And it was like two minutes. And in our world, like when two minutes goes by, that usually that means, means no. Means our phones. Right. So I like take the sweet potato. I stuff it in my mouth and just start writing. All right. The earlier commitment, and this is why we were kind of caught off guard. Usually you don't get two back to back. As Mike Norvell tweeted out yesterday, it was the daily double. Jake Slaughter, the number six center nationally, from Ocala, he commits to Florida State. It's the guy who's been on the radar for a little bit. Joshua, uh, please uh, go into a little bit of depth about uh, his recruitment, his vitals, uh, what he does well, and uh, and how that commitment took place. Because that was kind of a funny story on how that all happened as well. Yeah, this one happened. Me and Brendan were doing a podcast with Tim Linnefelt of Seminoles.com. And I got a phone call that, was, that I'd usually pick up if I wasn't on the podcast. And... I text my, the person said, Hey, I'm on a pod. I'll call you back. And about three minutes later, a text goes up from Mike Norvell about a commitment. So immediately I, I, a tweet, a tweet, a tweet, a tweet goes up from Mike Norvell. I text Brandon and said, Hey, I got to make this phone call. It has something to do with this tweet from coach Norvell. And I saw the three, five, two, I knew it was Jake Slaughter. Um, yeah, so I just told Brandon, hey, you handled the interview. I'm going to write this up. <laughs> Tim Linnefelt never knew that I uh, – poor, poor Tim never knew that you were gone for like 10 minutes. I was gone for about <laughs> 10 minutes. Right it's funny. We, we text one another. Me and Josh literally in the group text of all four of us. 
simultaneously. I go, I think Jake Slaughter just committed. Josh is like, Jake Slaughter just committed. I'm like, okay, well, good, good to know well, right here. This yeah, and the phone call that I did not take because I was on the pod was calling to inform me that it had just gone down. So it was, it was a little bit crazy. But to rewind Jake Slaughter's recruitment, um, he got the, his recruitment got started from the old staff. He was offered by Randy Clements. Uh, he's a six foot four, 300 pound offensive center from Trinity Catholic high school in Ocala, Florida, uh, Florida state honored it when, when Mike Norvell arrived and he immediately built a close relationship with Alex Atkins. Uh, Jake Slaughter made it to Florida state's first junior day in January. And at that point when he left, we knew, we knew FSU had something cooking with him. Um, just the way that he bonded with Coach Atkins, and then he told us he was going to come back for a spring practice. Uh, Jake Slaughter was true to his word. Not only did he come back for a spring practice, he came back for the very first spring practice. We talked to him afterward, and he said that it was great to be there because he wanted to he wanted to see Coach Atkins in person. You know, coaching. He, he said he had built the relationship with him, but to this point, he really wanted to see him coaching. And when he left that visit, I kind of knew that this was done. Um, Slaughter said that he wanted to see Arkansas, West Virginia, and I think maybe Ole Miss was in there as well. Once the virus hit and he wasn't able to take visits, I think he held out for a while, but it just made sense at this point to kind of grab his spot at Florida State. I think he knew he was going to go here. He wanted to weigh it out with a couple more visits if he could, but due to the circumstances and due to the fact that who knows when we're going to make visits again, I think Slaughter was comfortable enough with Coach Atkins and Florida State just to do it. Um, it, it did the timing of it caught us off by off guard, but I think all three of us had crystal ball predictions on slaughter for, for a couple months now. Yeah. And a couple other things is that FSU was talking to him more than anybody during the dead period. He was in three to five times a week. He was talking to Atkins. Um, I did speak to him. It was back on April 4th or 5th that I spoke to him. I ran the story on the 5th. And he said at that time he did want to wait because he did want to take visits, but that he definitively said FSU was standing out among the group. I think the biggest thing with Jake is that he built relationships here that he could trust. First, it was with mm-hmm. Randy, then it was with Alex. I think he also likes Coach Romabello a good bit. I think his family also likes the new staff quite a bit. And then there's guys like Zane Hearing. Zane Hearing is kind of the guy that introduced Jake to the FSU staff last year the old staff and helped to get him in here in July when he got the offer at camp, but he came with a guy like Caleb Johnson. FSU was already involved with Caleb Johnson, his teammate and friend. And then Jake comes and gets an offer from FSU and that kind of got the ball rolling and he kept showing up. And you know, if a kid shows that kind of devotion to you, keep showing up and you build a bond with him and you do value him as a player, then you take him. Now as a player, I think he's pretty good. I'm not going to sell him as something great, but he can snap at a high level. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who likes. <laughs> it's such a basic. It's such it's a. It's been a problem thing. here for three. I years know. It's the fact that Chris has that Chris has to say it is telling. He can snap at a high level, probably better than anybody currently on the roster, at least equal to Andrew Baselli, who I would argue is the best snapping center currently mm-hmm. on the roster. Um, he's a guy who will punish people, and he enjoys doing it. He likes getting after it. His feet are good. I'm not in love with his feet. I, I want to call him a dancing bear, supremely special in that sense but he's good enough at moving as a center. He's a guy who can play center. He can play guard. He's also just a generally good kid. He has a good work ethic. He works hard. Talking to people that know him from the Ocala Trinity Catholic program, they talked about how much he improved in the past 12 months, how much he took to coaching, how much he wanted to be better, how much he desired to learn to play a position at a higher level. Kids like that tend to pan out because they, they show the willingness to take to coaching they're also blessed with some natural talent. When those two things combine, they can be pretty good. And I think that's what we're looking at. And for FSU, I think he's a very good take. The center position doesn't have a ton of elite kids this year. There's maybe two or three kids nationally who are truly elite at that position. He's ranked six. I think that's fair. They were looking at another kid, Michael Mazelinski, who's currently in Jacksonville, but not from Jacksonville. His dad played at Tennessee. They've moved around as he's an NFL strength coach. His dad is. Um, I think he's going to end up end up in the Midwest, possibly at like an Iowa. So that's really the only other option at center. So this isn't a matter of settling. I wouldn't describe it as settling, but I would say that they hit on the guy they had the best chance of, who's probably the best talent at that position they could obtain. And to the haters, the the ranking haters, I, I see you. Um, asking about, you know, oh, Florida State took a three-star center. Well, guess what? There's only 
three four-star centers in the entire country. Two of them are committed. So technically there's, there's literally one four-star center out there that's available and he's out of Fort Worth, Texas. Um, so Jake Slaughter is the number six ranked center in the country, 585 overall. He is a three-star prospect, but perennially, like, I don't think there's ever been a five-star center period. Um, maybe, maybe one or two over the years, but you know, Jake Slaughter, like Chris said, is he's not an instant impact guy. Um, one of, but he is a, he is somebody that's going to come in and contribute and and likely start at, at Florida state at some point in his career. And more importantly, he's a guy that starts to set the tone in the locker room. Um, spoke to somebody close to to this recruitment on the FSU side of things after it all went down, and that was really one of the reasons why they wanted to get him on board and get him on board early is because of his attitude and his mentality. And if you know Jake and you've talked to Jake, um, you'll you'll see that instantly. Very serious, very focused. Um, a, kind of has a lot of the personality traits of a Mike Norvell coaching staff too. So. Um, they wanted to get him on, on board, and, and they got it done. Yeah, and one other thing to add about that is who's FSU center after this year? Maurice Smith is who they'd be grooming. We don't even know if he can snap. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't even know it's, that. He hasn't played and, center. Andrew and Babion exhaust their eligibility this year. So Maurice is probably the next man up after him who's your next center on the team. Right. You had to get a center. I, I don't you think couldn't they be choosy. have one, truthfully. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. a position you can try guys at, but – Sometimes those those moves feel horribly. You need a guy who can snap. He can snap. Therefore, he holds a great deal of value to the future of this roster and the immediacy of their needs. One dynamic that's been nice, well, silver lining with being quarantined. I haven't been on Twitter a whole lot. Like I'll tweet a lot of stuff, but I'm not on my phone constantly, just checking the timeline over and over again. Uh, so I didn't see the fan outrage, but like I had a couple friends text me and asking like why people were down on it. How loud was the complaining yesterday about slaughter? Like I thought it was a solid take. I don't, there's always somebody that has something to say. <laughs> I didn't see it, but there's always stupidity. I mean, people were complaining about Miko Dodson. Miko, well, <laughs> Miko Dodson is literally a rental. He does not impact FSU beyond the immediate upcoming season. He doesn't impact numbers for 2021. He doesn't change how you can recruit. The only thing he does is add a guy who tied for the lead in the nation in interceptions last year to a talented position with a boatload of snaps who's been in two major college programs. Well, FAU is only so major now. And he's played at a very high level. Like, outrage over that is just pure stupidity. And outrage over the number six center in the country, when it's the best center you can get based on any rankings you want to look at, whether it's us, Rivals, ESPN, I don't get it. People, people have been hurt a lot lately, so I just want to complain. Uh, let's talk about Miko Dotson from FAU. Chris mentioned he had nine interceptions last season. So I personally don't know if I view him as like a plug-and-play starter, but I still think that's someone who's going to play significant snaps for you, especially like in coverage packages, like in the nickel package. And you can move Asante Samuel over, or Dotson can contend for a starting job on opposite of Samuel. Like I like that addition a ton. Uh, Chris, you wrote up the story on Dotson when he committed. Uh, he did take a pretty long road to get to this point. Maybe please share uh, some of some of his background and how he got to Florida State. Yeah, shout out to Zach. Did a really good job in his recruitment. Had it covered along the way. Helped with the commitment itself. Um, Zach can, does still can, exist, just can, to make sure people can know I, that. Can I share a story about Zach real quick and sure. uh, and Miko Dotson? So, so it was the third, it was the day where everything turned to shit, Chris. It was the day where you were up in, in Greensboro and, uh, and the world stopped spinning, the sports world stopped spinning that day. Uh, so it was FSU's last practice of the spring and Zach was there helping me out. It was also the same day that Miko Dotson was coming to check out FSU. Wasn't there some like, not controversy, but like it was, weren't sure if he was going to be there or not. And and so I think Zach was kind of sweating like the the report that he put out, even though he talked to, to Miko about it. And so all of a sudden, Zach and I are standing there watching watching practice. And you know, you could always tell when there's a recruit because it's a it's a player with the lanyard on, but also a couple hosts or you know, a crew around him and stuff. It's always just a few people kind of hovering around. So Miko Dotson walks by, and and Zach kind of just looks up and down, makes sure that's Miko Dotson, gets a, a glance at the 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 name tag sees it's him and just starts jumping up and down giddy joy going oh 
because his report was correct. And meanwhile, Miko Dotson sees this happen and he sees Jack, he sees Zach jumping up and down and just starts laughing at him. And that's how that transaction went. I can't believe you would talk such slander about Zach with him unable to defend himself. I mean, he's already denied that he jumped up and down in the group text. But to Josh's point, why was Miko Dotson laughing if he wasn't jumping up and down? Fair point. All right. So sorry. Continue. I thought I thought it was fine. Sorry, Zach. It was adorable. I, I agree with your uh, take, by the way, of him probably being a nickel type. I think that is probably the bread and butter of where he helped. I think more than anything, he's a guy that in practice, he's going to elevate the level of competition. He's not. He's not here to learn the position. He's here to learn the scheme and figure out how he fits into it. And he's going to push guys that are still fine-tuning technique and such. Back to his recruitment. Came out of Daytona Beach, mainland, same school FSU got Cyrus Fagan out of. Actually camped at FSU way back then, and that would have been still Jimbo as Florida State's head coach. So that's how long ago this whole relationship actually began. Camped at FSU, liked FSU, wanted to go to FSU in part because it was an in-state school. That never came about. He ended up at Georgia Tech, uh, very short-lived there, ended up going from there to, was it Garden City Community College, I believe? That, that sounds right. Yeah, it was one of the Kansas Juco's. Went from there to FAU, had a medical redshirt year, I believe, at FAU, then played, had the nine picks, and then got out of Dodge, hit the transfer portal, investigated his options. FSU was always kind of clearly the one he wanted to go to. I know Boston College and Baylor are two others we mentioned as possibilities. I don't know who else came along. I didn't follow up on that when he committed. Didn't worry about it since we knew he was going to FSU. It was pretty clear going into March that he wanted to go to FSU. And then when he took that visit around March, what, 12th, 13th, I forget the exact date that that Thursday was. But when he took that visit, it was pretty clear it was probably going to be FSU. And we reached this point where it is FSU. He's a one-year eligibility, instant eligibility guy. He's going to plug. He's going to play. He's going to help with depth. He's going to improve them in the practice setting, and he doesn't impact their numbers long-term other than making sure he can fit into the 85 for this one given season. And we'll get into some of the scholarship stuff in a little bit. I think people are sweating that a little bit. Um, that's one of the questions that we'll answer after the break. Uh, we'll get to that. The last addition that we want to discuss is Deontay Williams from Baylor, defensive end, outside linebacker type. Chris, uh, you you were primarily the or you were the primary on his recruitment, so I'll ask you to kind of fill us in on Again, another guy with a long road to this or unique road to this point. Yeah, he's from Texas originally. His father is Alfonso Williams, Alley Cat, who played at Florida State back in the day. Actually played with Odell late 80s, early 90s, I believe it was. Um, and those, he, those guys are still buddies. They still yes, talk. Yes, they're still friends. And uh, the younger Williams, Deontay Williams, he was at Baylor, didn't play a lot as a young freshman. In 18, he played. Suffered a severely broken arm against Texas. Had to be stretched off with it. Missed the rest of 18. That was in October of 2018. Missed the rest of 18. All of camp in 19. The season in 19. And eventually he was medically disqualified slash medically retired. So basically it was from the way Deontay has told me. It was decided by him and Baylor that he was not going to be able to come back in the time they were hoping to come back. So they medically retired him so he could stay on scholarship but not claim a number on the 85. He did tell me he got cleared by Baylor's doctors eventually here in the last five months or so, but that it wasn't in time to play or do anything like that. So he looks for somewhere else to go. He looked at a few places. He actually jumped in the portal back in early January of this year. FSU got involved here at the beginning of April. It was a very quick relationship. Um, Odell Higgins dealt personally with the young man. I presume he, the young man already knew Odell because of his father's relationship with Odell. So that probably helped in that situation. Some would make him feel at ease. He's a Fox type. He'll come in and he'll help. I think he, again, he's a depth piece. That's a position where they're trying to figure out what they have this year and what they have going forward. He does have, I believe two years of eligibility to play eligibility. is always one of those weird things with transfers where you know what you expect them to have, but then you got to also see how it works with compliance and that they definitely get that. You know, we've had guys come in before who said they had two and ended up only having one. Uh, the young man from FAU is who I'm thinking of, the local kid um, whose name is escaping me at the moment. But he thought he had two when he walked in the door. He ended up actually only having one. But in Deontay's case, he expects to have two. Um, we'll see how high level a player he is. I don't want to build him up to be something we're not sure he is. In the college game, he hasn't had a whole lot of at-bats because the injury did stymie his career so early on. 
but he says he's 100%. He's about 20 pounds heavier than he was back in those days. He told me he's around 235 these days. Yeah, and I, I think that in some ways it's a, I don't want to degrade it, but in some ways it's a favor because of the family relationship and the ties to the program. It also helps FSU from a needs standpoint to agree, and he was available, and he has played at a P5 program. He was a P5 level player, player when he went there. He also, in his time at Baylor, he was there, Art Bryles to the transition of Matt Rule to the departure of Matt Rule. So he dealt with all that while he was there. So he's one of those guys that also kind of been in that, you know, whirlwind of the college football program that's unstable to some degree, even though Baylor obviously had a great deal of success this past year under Matt Rule. He, he does have some decent film. I know he hasn't played a ton. I think a couple hundred snaps in the last, uh, in 2017 and 18 combined, but he's a guy who does defend the edge pretty well and not in the way you would expect. Like he's not an edge setter, but he's really quick. Uh, and if you're expecting to go against a team, that's going to run a lot of read option concepts as length as quickness. And the fact that you could tell he he's been around football, he has a pretty high IQ to, to know his assignment with that. He could be someone who could help shut down a running quarterback at a high level. So kind of a specialist who helps out with depth and gives them something unique that they maybe didn't have at that Fox position. So I, I like it. I, I, I like that addition. It's not going to set the world on fire, but it's someone who should be able to at least minimum contribute on special teams and give you 10, 15 snaps a game in the rotation that were not to be an ass, but better than what some of your outside linebacker defensive end types were giving you last year. Yeah. He's a kid that's gone from safety to linebacker to D end as he's evolved body type wise. He entered college around 210, 215, and now he's 235. And that transition is noticeable in the way he plays. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here, and then we have some questions from you guys on the uh, on the other side. So stick with us, and we'll be right back. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back to On the Bench. We have listener questions. Since we did the semi-emergency podcast, we wanted to uh, answer any of the other miscellaneous questions you had in recruiting because this does, all these developments do mean that there are other cause and effects going on. We want to try to help you with that as much as possible. Before we do that, Chris, there was a hoops commitment over the weekend. I'm going to give you the platform because I learned something this past year. You never know when you're not going to have it to talk about. So I'm going to I'm going to give you the, the platform to talk a little hoops. Yeah, FSU landed seven-footer Quincy Ballard. He's actually only 6'11", but we're going to say he's going to wear really high, high tops. <laughs> Close foot. enough. It just sounds better. So uh, Quincy Ballard's a talented kid. He played ball at Quality Education Academy. Yes, it's a real school in North Carolina this past year. He's originally actually from Syracuse, New York. FSU, he committed on Saturday to FSU. FSU actually officially offered one week earlier. When FSU offered, he had a couple of UNC directional types like Asheville and Wilmington, those types, but he didn't have many big-time offers. Well, FSU offers, then NC State offers, then Maryland offers, and Syracuse offers. Right after FSU offered, Cincinnati offered. So all of a sudden, he's got these you know, five basketball major programs that are after him. In his last week, he decides to make a decision. It truly comes down to FSU, Syracuse, and Maryland. Maryland's in desperate need of a big man addition. Syracuse is a hometown program who could definitely use a big man. And FSU is a school that loves big men. Well, FSU wins out. Big reason FSU went out, because they didn't just start recruiting him one week earlier. Leonard Hamilton and his staff had been up to North Carolina to see the young man, had dealt with him. They were unable to get him in for a visit, but he did take a virtual visit. They walked around campus and showed him on FaceTime anything and everything they could about the program. Had a lot of conversations with him. 
He did that with most schools, but because FSU had already developed a bit of a personal relationship combined with their winning tradition in recent years and their willingness and love for big men and their development of big men in recent years, those things are what won out for Quincy. So he decided to commit to the University of Florida State, as he said. <laughs> and, uh, ah! a you know, they needed a big man in this class. And then McLeod's a guy that they hope to add back to the roster down the road. He's at Chipola JC. We learned that he is going to play one year at Chipola JC now, which means he should enter here with three to play three, basically. Um, but Boss is a guy that if he does play to his level, is probably a guy who can go pro pretty quickly in his career if he has an entire year playing at a high level because he is very, very talented. He's obviously very fluid for a big man. So they could easily lose him in a year or two, depending on how he develops, how he plays, and if he stays healthy. This past year, he was very much uh, getting it rolling around Christmas time and then got hurt, and that very much did him in for the rest of the year. So we didn't really get to see a good version of Balsa for most of this past season, but I promise you it's there. And uh, while a guy like Malik Osborne will play like a big, he doesn't want to be a big. He would rather be a face-up guy, and I think FSU would prefer him to be a face-up guy, but he'll do whatever's asked of him. So adding a guy like Quincy, he's not going to be an instant impact type, but he is going to be a rim defender. He should help you grab some boards, block some shots. I think that has an asset for them next year, and he's a guy they develop, and we see him turn into a good player in year three or four of his college career. Very athletic, very fluid, big man, runs like a deer. It's what you want on the court. It's what Leonard Hamilton loves, and it definitely makes Hamilton giddy whenever he gets a seven-footer of that type. A six-foot-eleven guy. Josh, do you see what happens when I give Chris just a, just an inch for hoops? It's well-deserved. All right. All right. Josh, you warmed up. I know you've been uh, – been, Yeah, I've been on the bench. All right. Well, you're, you're, you're being called into action here. All right. We got like five or six questions here. The first one's from D Haney 10. He asks, who is the next to jump on board? That would be uh, next commitment. And are we on the Mississippi state offensive tackle transfer? That would be Brevin Jones, Joshua. I'm still going to lean toward Dink Jackson, even though he told Christy, uh, I believe it was yesterday that uh, he has no plans to, to commit. I'm not saying that uh, he's going to commit today or tomorrow. I just think that he'd probably be the most likely on that list. And then your second question was about, are we on the Mississippi state offensive tackle transfer Brevin Jones? Because he tweeted out uh, when Lovett committed yesterday, like you're living that Florida life or something. I wouldn't really say they're on him. I would say that they've reached out. There's been contact. um, But, you know, I don't think that he, that he's the answer people think he's going to be. Um, We'll see how his recruitment plays out, but he he might not, uh, you know, be going to a major program. I'm just talking to some people that are familiar with his recruitment. I think FSU could be heavily involved if they wanted to be heavily involved. Heavily involved. So I I'd caught up with Brevin right after he entered the portal, and FSU mm-hmm. did did talk to him really quickly, but. Uh, to kind of compare and contrast between Brevin's recruitment with FSU and then Lovett's, both guys from Mississippi State, both leaving for for likely similar reasons. How long did it take them to offer Lovett? Like a day and a half or so? Yeah. Uh, almost instantly. I don't think Brevin has. Hours. Yeah, I don't think Brevin at least initially had one. I don't think he has an offer right now. Uh, to I don't our think knowledge. he has an offer either. Um, I'm being told that they like. USC um, grad transfer Clayton Bradley a little bit more. Ooh, They're not okay. even sold on Clayton Bradley totally as a take. Um, but if they were to be on somebody in the portal, see, that's the problem. Just because an offensive tackle hits the portal doesn't mean that instantly he's an upgrade over what you have. And that's the balance that you got to find. These yeah. guys are hitting the portal for a reason. One thing to add on Brevin is that Alex Atkins recruited him at Tulane, ultra familiar. We don't have him committed at Tulane. So they know who and what he is. So it's not a matter of they have to evaluate him yeah. much further. Obviously, I'm sure they'll look at some college film just to see how he developed within his time in that program. But they have a very good feeling of who he is. Yeah. And if they felt that he was a guy that could immediately upgrade their roster, they'd be all over him. So right. it, it, it's a uh, it's an evaluation pr- problem right now with well, this is something that Josh has mentioned before. Like it was with Chris Murray, who ends up going to Oklahoma. And I know that doesn't look great for FSU, but we never got the feeling that FSU, like they were interested in him. I think they would have taken him. Well, they wanted was, to get him on campus. Too. Yeah. That, that wasn't uh-huh. like, Oh, this, we need to get him right away. Like they're taking other guys that, that they don't didn't get on campus uh, for, for him. 
they want to see him a little bit more. So I guess my point is if there's a guy who has a couple years of eligibility remaining and not just a, a one year uh, rental guy, then you need to make sure that someone who not just helps you out and is capable of, of benefiting the roster, but would be a surefire upgrade. Someone who would start for you. I don't know if that's Brevin Jones or not. He only played a little bit last year. Uh, I'm sure it's someone that they can, if they do further evaluation or they decide, okay, this is how our numbers are working. We could use him at one of the tackle spots. Like he could be a benefit down the road. Maybe, maybe, but right now it doesn't seem like that's someone they're looking at as like a surefire, like going to help us immediately instant impact guy. So that's where we are with that. Uh, I would, I would take that as the next commitment, by the way. Yeah. I I was going to ask about, about him. And then uh, what about the other, the linebacker from, from Louisiana, uh, Andrew, uh, Andrew Jones, right? He, he's saying he's put out a list on his, I think mom's birthday. I think it's mom's birthday, Yeah, but it's uh-huh. down the road in, I want to say May. So he, he sounds like he's hitting that's, pause, but that's going degree, a little but, bit longer, but kids, yeah. right now are, kids right now are going back and forth on whether to do the slow burn and a pause, you know, I want to take it in. I want to take visits or commit to the school that they're leaning to. And I would say Dink Jackson, Andrew Jones, and Destin pays on AK fat. Are all leaning. <laughs> Bless you. Almost made it. Made it. Are all <laughs> leaning towards Florida State. Your face was looking pained as it was as it was ongoing. I was so close to hitting the mute button right before that. It's <laughs> uh, fine. Tehezi asks, "Who's a stud recruit that us fans would be surprised that we have a legit shot to get that <laughs> has genuine interest in FSU? So someone who FSU." Uh, is in the mix I think you're on the wrong site if you're looking to be surprised. I think we do a pretty good job of trying to jump ahead of it and let you guys know exactly who Florida State's in it for. But I'd go with a guy like Dylan Brooks, maybe. I mean, he's even a guy that's visited. Um, so I don't know if you'd be surprised by a, a five-star defensive end that has visited, but um, maybe somebody like him. I know they're trying to make Amarius Mims a super priority, and they're doing everything that they can. But I think that one's going to run away from them in time. Okay. T Knowles 26 asks, okay, we land the Mississippi State guy. What about the defensive end from Arkansas State? Uh, also, attrition, you guys think two to four guys were told to go? Um, well, first off, the Arkansas State defensive end, what's his name? The hyphen. Uh, Josh, you caught up with him when he first entered the portal. Yeah, William. Uh, they're not. William Bradley. He doesn't have an offer from Florida State. It's been over a week at this point. I don't think that's going to transpire. FSU is focusing on adding a defensive end. It's Justice Reed right now is who they would add if they can add one. It wouldn't be uh, the Arctic State D end. What I'm my understanding is uh, attrition. You guys think two to four guys were told to go? I mean, I don't want to name names. I don't. So I don't think that's I, how it works. Yeah, and I there's a scholarship question after this from TV Three Golf so Seven One Four. Let's talk about the scholarships right now because if people are freaking out, maybe we're partially responsible for this because I like to do the scholarship updates regularly. Just because they're technically like projecting for more than 85 right now, that that doesn't mean that they can't keep adding guys. Like they just have to be under 85 at a certain point before the season. Uh, so there is attrition expected. And there's always attrition expected. Like it's a college football offseason, especially with a new coaching staff. I don't know how the timeline is impacted because of this pause, like how, if guys are going to FSU didn't get a chance to really evaluate players in the spring uh, and players didn't get a chance to evaluate the new coaches too, to an extent and know where they stand. So I don't know how this pause really impacts uh, guys leaving the program, but there will be guys who eventually leave the program, whether it's medically, whether it's to get a fresh start somewhere else, just that'll happen. So I wouldn't freak out about scholarships right now. Do you guys have anything to add to that? Well, two um, names I've thrown out there. One is Christian Meadows because their shoulder has been a constant issue since he arrived on campus. I think Meadows is at that point where we figure out, is he going to be part of this roster? Is he going to be right. medically dq because he just can't be? And I think Mike Arnold's a guy you have to question because of how miserably out of shape we saw him at tour of duty and the limited spring practice we saw. Mike Arnold's a guy you have to fairly question does he want to be a part of this team? Is he showing any effort or desire to be a part of this football team and contribute as he ends the end of exhausting his eligibility? So I think those are two examples where if you're trying to figure out how you can get down a number or two or guys to look at. One other dynamic as well, and I'm, I'm speaking a little bit out of turn with this. I know Bud Elliott has talked about it on his podcast. I just don't have the full information on it, so I feel a little guilty, but I do think it's worth for context 
this pause is impacting not just the way college coaches are evaluating their own players or vice versa, uh, but think about like recruits, your class of 2020 signees, and not just for FSU, but programs all over that were in need of a little bit of help academically to get to where they need to go. They're not taking SATs right now, right? Like they're not taking ACTs. That's usually the elixir that can help you get over the edge. If you have a certain GPA and you're like, okay, you go ahead and you score uh, this on the SAT, that'll bump up the, the G or the, that'll bump up your, that'll make up for the GPA being where it's at. Uh, Basically you don't have that luxury right now. So there's guys that you were maybe banking on coming in that you now you're just kind of waiting in the wind, like with everyone else's like it's pause is impacting a lot. So yeah, I don't know how that impacts FSU scholarship projections. I don't know if there are guys who are, are necessarily on the you know, on the cuff of being eligible or not. But but I know that college programs are having to consider whether or not they're going to get everyone they thought they were initially going to to get to enroll from the 2020 class because this variable of not being able to to take standardized tests. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but that's actually an excellent point. That's something that we probably need to check with the signees from this past year and make sure, you know, who's good to go, who was in good academic standing when this began and who had work to do and how is that being managed with the unique circumstances we're now dealing with. Yeah. So that, that could be, again, just connecting dots. That could be a couple scholarships that you're maybe not sure where they go now. I, I don't know. Uh, just something else to consider. All right. Last question we have Bluma two, four, six, Prediction on how many more transfers we get before the season. Chance we get an OT transfer. Josh, you touched a little bit on the offensive tackle mm-hmm. transfer market. Uh, wasn't there another one from FCS? Was it Wofford? Well, level? there's a kid from Wofford that FSU's taken a look at, haven't made contact with or anything like that. So if I hear of anything that kind of comes out of that, I'll definitely update it. But I think when it comes to predicting how many transfers they take, um, it's limited by the market. You're limited by the options. And right now we just talked about all the offensive line transfers. Of course they, I mean, if all things were equal and you said, Hey, FSU, how many offensive tackle grad transfer would you like? And they said two, of course they would like to have, you know, one or two more. Um, but it's going to come down to options. And right now, as we see it, you know, there's the kid at USC that they kind of like, that they like a little bit. Uh, Wofford going to take a look at obviously Jones from Mississippi States out there. They're not in love with him. So right now it'd be hard to say that they're going to take any more knowing the options. Um, but ideally, yeah, I think they'd like to add another pass rusher and, and another offensive lineman. I think the Wofford kid actually committed to Illinois. Did, did he really already? So yeah, Nikki did it maybe day before yesterday. Blake, it's Blake. What? Like, Juris T or something like that. Mm, um, I'm pretty sure he's in Illinois, unless they have two in the portal. Um, portal Madness. Josh um, Berger, I think, is his name. Okay, so yeah, they had a. That, that sounds like a guy who was born to play offensive line. They had a kid yeah. like Jurisetti Jer, or something like that from Wofford. He committed to Illinois. It looks like on actually yeah. April 10th. So, <laughs> so this is not Josh Berger. Josh so, Wofford, so Wofford's losing all of its offensive alignment to the. Who knew Wofford was an offensive <laughs> Um, I, I think they try to add two more. I think an offensive tackle and a D end are the obvious yeah. ones. I think they will also look at high value guys, maybe at running back and tight end, just to evaluate them. But I think if they can add an offensive tackle who can block and a D end who can sack the quarterback's ass, I think those are what they want. So. Mm-hmm. Sack and ass in the same sentence. That's that's my boy. That's Chris Knee. Uh, yeah, those are the two positions that I think we look at. And, hey, like the. The transfer market, like Josh said, it's determined obviously by who's in it. We, it this is going to be a really weird timing, and, and there's going to be different periods in which I think there's going to be an influx of guys who enter the transfer portal. Like we just saw in the past like week or two, there was like this flurry of it, and I'm sure we'll see it again because there's not college football, like spring practices all ending around the same time. I think it's just going to kind of be rolling out and be these ebbs and flows. So we'll, we'll see. I'm sure it'll be fun. I appreciate all the guys committing this past week. That's been good for our, our website traffic. That's been nice, right? Things have been up. I mean, it's it's a great time to be a Seminole, Brendan. <laughs> Do you have anything else to add? I just wish we were part of the Joshua Christopher recruitment. I found that rabbit hole last night. Poor Michigan. Oh, it breaks, it breaks your heart, Chris, doesn't it? 
it, it was a basketball kid, and it was, you know, Arizona State, Michigan. Oh, he committed to Arizona State. I think USC was in a professional route was also a possibility. And I guess he committed at 11-24, which is 8-24 his time, which is obviously a tribute to Kobe for the hoop heads out there. And uh, I think that it, it was just funny. Keep I, I fell into the trap of keeping up with it on the Michigan site yesterday, and, like, one thread had 150,000 views, and it was just – it was bananas. It was like – Jaden Lars would be didn't commit to FSU. It was literally like that kind of commitment day thread. And it was just nuts. And <laughs> I guess there was some trolling going on, at least in the viewpoint of fans. And it was fun. I, I, that's the things I do during quarantine is I fall into random basketball recruitment foxholes. Yeah. And know your audience, Chris, you kept texting us about it. Like any of us were really carried at 10 o'clock. I was way into it. <laughs> I know you were. I know you were. Yes. Uh, what else do we have? First off, thank you for all the questions, guys. We appreciate that. Uh, Josh, you want to tease what we have coming up later this week? You already kind of did with the Tim. The Tim. Well, we have Tim Linnefelt and then we're going to uh, sit down with a couple other beat writers that I think fans will be excited to hear from. I'm not going to not going to give him any names, Brendan. No, we don't want to name names. We got what? We haven't conducted the interview. We got Tim in the can, and then we got at least two more planned. Uh, At least one more planned, but we'll we'll get two. Well, we're probably going to do more than that. That's our Meet the Beat series. Do you like that? I got two in my head that I definitely want. You're a child. I really didn't mean it. I hate the name of everything that you name. All right, guys. Carissa was very proud of you for the Love It headline. She literally asked me if I came up with that. Oh, she had to ask you that? In my mind, when I wrote it, it, was, it wasn't it was passive-aggressive, but I was like, if I'm doing the recruiting stuff, then I'm going to just muck up things for everyone and just make an awful, corny headline. But I, I liked it. Thank you. Thank you, Carissa. It was good. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for, uh, for hopping on early this morning to get the podcast done. This was fun. Thank you, everyone, to listen, for listening. We'll have Tim Linnefeld's interview was pushed back a day because of all the recruiting stuff. We'll have that tomorrow. So check out On the Bench to get a little uh, more of the Meet the Beat series. On the Bench.